This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Fortnight ago, we brought you the first part of an interview with Peter Hollow. Peter Hollow is a founding member of Four Play String Quartet and has also recently been involved in a collaboration between the quartet and the writer Neil Gaiman. So this is part two. Please enjoy. At the end of that tour, we all sat down together and said, we, what are we going to do next? Mm-hmm. Um, and Neil was very into the idea of doing something next. Um, and the idea that we eventually came up with was um, signs of the zodiac, but um, we would come up with our own set of signs oh. and then the stories would be, or stories or songs or whatever they were would be developed around these, um, you know, new zodiac of signs and we'd make, make 12 of them because that's the number that suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we all went off and came up with two words that would be our signs um and it was going to be and it probably maybe one day still will be a um a multi-sensory performance thing wow that'd be incredible because you've already got the zodiac imagery yeah so so there'd be imagery but the imagery would be whatever the imagery was that we came up with yeah um well i was gonna say maybe maybe your signs of the zodiac could be different mm. Cuisines, and you know, you have Thai, you have Japanese, whatever. Right. So, why, why are you listening to the Thai when you're eating some laksa? Yeah, the possibilities that are endless. <laughs> we hadn't thought of the smell of vision or anything, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, but so it, there so, were so a lot of ideas. Two words? It, it never came up eventually, oh, it, oh, it never, it, never came it, to well, fruition. No, it, it still will, maybe, but um, we are. Uh, what were my signs? One was the umbrella, and mm. umbrella has this the work exists, but the recording we made of it, we were not satisfied with mm-hmm. enough, and so it will eventually be released. I'm so quite proud the, of it. What's actually. the umbrella like? What What is an umbrella person like? Um, well, it's a an absolutely gorgeous story that he wrote, um, and maybe we can get onto how these how these all came together. I can't remember what my other one was, but there was the sign of the pillow was one, and that <laughs> appears in, an, in a way here. Um, sign of the pillow, I like it. The clock, clock is one. Yeah. Oh, that appears Snail on the album a lot. Yeah, there was a lot to there. do about time and space yeah. and well, things like so that. So the album got its own sort of theme to it, really. Mm, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, can, I'm if you don't mind. But, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just throwing things out there. I can't remember them all, really. Yeah. There were a lot. Snail also exists and also doesn't appear on this album. Um, and what else was there there? So Mobius Strip was my other sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought both of them were just really pregnant with potential for stories. And the story yeah. that Neil wrote for Mobius Strip is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, the Umbrella one, I just thought umbrellas are um, really evocative things as well. The symbol of just the protection they give you um and also the fact that the canopy of the umbrella kind of encloses itself when it gets 
closed up. And they now. protect, but they're also quite fragile in their own way as well. They're fragile. Um, they can almost seem like a weapon as well. And, you know, when your umbrella is unfurled, you've got this long stick, which is mm. maybe a bit phallic. And so I just had all these thoughts of umbrella can mean so many things. Mm-hmm. And then Neil wrote this, this story, which is a kind of personal history of the umbrellas in this person's life. And each stanza is kind of different different ideas about umbrellas, which is why I would have loved it to be on this album because it is really another story about sort of signs of a life. So, mm. while, um, while I think of it, can I ask a question mm. based, based around that? The, mm. the idea that as a creative person, and you're obviously your, your main form of creativity is music. Music, yeah. When you're hearing someone like Neil Gaiman, whose main area of creativity is mm. writing and, and words and language, did you find that it unlocked other parts of your, your own creativity to kind of bounce off I each other in that way? I think it did for all of us, yeah. Um, this, it's definitely the case that... Um, this is a slight non-sequitur, but, um, for instance, when I played in the Australian Youth Orchestra, I was playing with some of the best young musicians in Australia um, who were going to go on and be either members of the best symphony orchestras and chamber orchestras of which they are or or whatever. And I was a, a reasonably decent cellist um, and I found that my my playing was just, it was just pulled up incredibly through being associated with these people and playing with them. And so I do think that working with Neil and we, we worked with him quite you know, on this project quite kind of closely interlaced and it does really sort of draw some some kind of magnificent sort of creativity out from you. Um, I don't think any of us ended up... Well, Lara's a lovely lyricist of her own work, but um, it's not that we kind of necessarily contributed any words, but we contributed ideas and thoughts about maybe how, what direction these things could go in. More than some um, of its parts kind of idea. Yeah. Um, so the main, so some of this happened, I think, while we were touring and just grabbing time here and there. Neil has spent a lot of time in Australia because um, Amanda Palmer has quite a close connection to Australia and had a lot of friends here and um, they spent quite a bit of time here. And he's got a lot of other friends here. So there would be a few times over the years because remember this initial performance was 2010 mm-hmm. and the tour for the album was 2014. So that's, mm-hmm. it's not a decade, but it's, a, it's many years. Um, so we would grab a bit of time here and there. We, we did a few different performances with Neil. There was, I think, one more performance of The Truth Is A Cave in Melbourne um, and a few others. So we had maybe a couple of days together here and there. Then um, we we managed to get ourselves an Australia Council grant at some point, and that, that allowed us to travel to the UK and spend um, almost a week, I think five days or something, in, in a little town called Hay um, with Neil. And we, uh, we hired a house together and we lived together for a few days. Um, so that was where we, we were saying, well, it was everything, as I've sort of said. So it's everything from 
um, a song on this album called The Song of the Song, which is a poem that Neil had written, which I think also had not been published at the Mm -hmm. time. And we had started writing some little theme and Neil in his kind of head said, the rhythm of this would fit with this poem I'd Mm -hmm. written. So, and that is, he reads the poem as a kind of just rhythmically read poem. And then there are these chorus refrains that Lara sings. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we, so we'd half written this thing, we kept writing it along with Neil's words. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we we needed to have a contrasting section because it's a song, so sort of chorus or whatever it is. And when we kind of came to that, Neil was like, okay, to make this, to complete this, I need to write some extra stanzas for that. So then he wrote the the sung lyrics mm-hmm. sort of on the spot with us, wow. which is So it was really delightful. a collaborative process yeah. of, you know, um, taking fragments from each other and working yeah. with them and, and just But shaping. then even more so with the Mobius strip, I mm-hmm. think we were um, writing this these really twisty themes that um, I, I don't know how closely anyone has listened to this track on the album yet really but oh it's a pretty striking um, one so it stands out it is um the if you listen to it closely enough you'll hear there are all these symmetries and um the 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 sort of baseline or whatever the ostinato that tim plays at the beginning of the piece is symmetrical Mm. um i think both the pitches and the rhythms of it yeah um and then then i bring in a baseline on the pizzicato on the cello, which after two repeats then reverses itself. And um, then, yeah, so anyway, then then in fact it reverses itself, it changes pitch and then it gets um, further loops added to it. Um, So structurally it tries to be this sort of idea of the Mobius strip where um, as you traverse this, um, you know, this kind of ribbon you -hmm. get back to where you started but on the opposite side Um, and then if you walk along it again you'll get back to where you began so we were writing all these little ideas and things while neil was sitting in the corner writing on his notepaper Mm -hmm. Uh, and then at some point he kind of got up and said okay let's try this now so that was just the most incredible experience for us to be mm. treated to. <laughs> this wasn't the only time treated to this new story that Neil had come up with. Brand pretty new. much oh, right amazing. there, um, and just hearing it all fall together. Then this the, the passage where it's very kind of um, busy rhythmical mm-hmm. um, stuff that then there's this point where my bass line drops an octave and everything sort of sort of breaks apart mm-hmm. um and that point in the story is just the the most perfect spot for that and everything yeah. so just how that all came together was quite remarkable and that one and then umbrella which nobody's heard but umbrella i was writing i was just playing some things with the wordless melody and it wasn't anything mm-hmm until Neil got up and said, here's my <laughs> story. And um, again, it's just just this incredible thing of um, all these stanzas that he'd written that fitted into this this kind of song that we'd been in the middle of composing. 
So a few of them works like that. So the, the, and then clock, um, we describe that in the notes of the album. It was always going to be the clock piece for us because we put a metronome down on the floor in the room, the other room of this house, um, and let it tick at 60 BPM. Um, and we just started improvising to it, um, this ethereal, beautiful thing that was a little repeated ostinato on one of the violas and then sort of things gradually entering and a baseline from me and then we all just spontaneously started singing as well and that all that singing is just it was very much just written on the spot um all the way through um we somehow just tuned into all these chord changes and everything um, can I, ma- can and- I pay your massive ca- um, <laughs> engineer's compliment? I was yeah. listening to that today on the computer mm-hmm. and I looked around because I thought there was a metronome in the room with me. But uh, yeah. The mix and the reverb and the, and the buffing on that nice. is really exquisite. So whoever did that, well done. Yeah. Um, uh, old mate Justin Tressida is a, a really great engineer and he he'd be well, it was engineering like, a lot of like surround sound without surround sound yeah um so how he did get that and I, I mean we didn't you know obviously we didn't record it in the studio with the metronome on the floor so mm-hmm. i think we must have been recording it to a click track um and but the sound that you're hearing is is yeah, very obviously gorgeous. sound of the metronome. Yeah. Um, you almost so hear me- the mechanism within the metronome. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. And I, that was really important to us that it did have that sound because yeah, it the authenticity come from of it. that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it could be a mechanical clock, I suppose, yeah. as well, or a grandfather clock or something. Um, but we played it to Neil and he just immediately said that it was going to be Shakespeare's sonnet number whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's one of the most famous sonnets that everybody knows. And he almost reads um, it in that 60 BPM. He rhythm. does. Yeah. And then he just uh, he just read it and all that needed to happen really was the, the change that happens comes in at the right point mm-hmm. where he just again had this intuition that he would just stop reading. Mm. Um, and it all kind of just then crescendos to this um, peak where it just hangs there and he reads the last two lines of the poem um so that was again neil's intuition of how um words and music yeah the pacing and the power of words but exactly it wouldn't you know if it was anyone else who was trying to do that even if they said maybe Shakespeare's sonnet you know it's about turning this ancient poem into something that fits perfectly with this music as well so it really is quite um quite an incredible talent that he yeah. has in that way yeah and so he, um, he brings Shakespeare to life and, and so do you in what you've created mm, so can you tell me a little bit more mm, about how you've worked with life and death I noticed in the cover yes yeah, so that is and how it and a Sean 10 picture came together was. it was mm. very that was another great fortune Sean has um uh, participated quite a bit with the a few of the graphic festivals over the years as well mm-hmm. and so he knows Jordan very well um, and so when it came to needing to put this album together I think Jordan just said um, Sean we'd love to have some art of yours and I think basically his response was I can't 
I don't have the time to do a sort of bespoke thing for you, but here's a whole lot of artwork, and he mm. just sent us yeah, tons of artwork. Yeah. Um, and we ended up choosing the skull picture f- for that reason, yeah. because by then it had ended up having all these themes of life and death. Mm. Um, one of my favourite pieces on the album is the last track, which is now called Signs of a Life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the sign of the pillow, actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that came out of... That's one of the very rare occasions where there's a, a, a partly a score. Um, it's quite funny. We were all in that house together and we woke up um, in the morning to find this score to the first little repeating section that Shenzo had written out and put on our music stands uh, he'd obviously been up all night and been using his looper or something and written this thing and it's a gorgeous intricate thing that um harmonically is sort of you could just pull it apart and um it's it's incredible um and so we just were playing around and around it on that um and neil was i, I think it had already been said that it was the pillow um, so he was starting to write this story around that. Um, and I think we had a few little bits of it, but actually most of it didn't come together until um, a later date um, where we, we had gotten together again. And I think that was when we played him the clock thing and he wrote that bit. And then we got back to this pillow thing and we'd written a few other sections to it. And it was very back and forth, mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. So um, he, it was, if you hear the words it is about someone who's dying really who's literally at the end of their life and they're a creator of words you know it could Mm. be Neil um and it just evokes the um the dissolution of the life into sort of the ether Mm -hmm. um and as he says you know and in the end you're just a a dent on the pillow um, where your head lay Um, so he just you know he just extrapolated this this whole gorgeous theme from the idea of the pillow Um, because that was end of life and because Mobius Strip was about sort of the twists and turns of Mm. the life and so it really the the clock is about yeah. yeah so many of these were coming together as it's not just signs but it is signs of life or signs of a life Mm. and so I think we just ended up taking sort of stealing that as the the name and the theme of the album Um, so a number of these pieces are not going to be part of the signs project if it ever comes to fruition but Mm -hmm. a lot of them came out of that Um, and um, and yeah the album's just very fortunate for that you know and you probably can't Maybe the Joan of Arc one, even though it's set in a children's playground, you know, you could you could imagine that it's maybe got that theme, but maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Maybe it's just a, a, a one of the tracks on the album. But you know, yeah, um, I've got a soft so, spot for that particular track. It's very <laughs> it's, sweet. Yeah. That one existed already, by the way. So yeah. you can find on Bandcamp a project that Neil did with Amanda Palmer and Ben Folds and a few other, mm-hmm. a couple of other people. Um, and they spent an entire night from sort of midnight to dawn um, trying to write 
eight new pieces. Um, and this is one that Neil wrote the entire lyrics for, and I think Ben Folds wrote the entire music for. Um, and we yeah, just Ben Folds did. is sort of renowned for that kind of yeah. improv thing. Exactly, yeah. he's very, he's exactly, he's that kind of person as well. Yeah. Um, so it is a great collaboration as well. Mm. Um, and Neil, I think, considers this to be the definitive version of the track, but um, whatever. <laughs> I mean, the original is really great too. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's a cover, but it's a cover of a piece that Neil wrote. <laughs> and the other one is the one that was the original single because it's the the vampire song, mm. um, which I've suddenly gotten the name of, Bloody Sunrise. And he wrote that song many years ago uh, for a folk duo and you can find you can you can find the original version on YouTube somewhere as well is that the one you've done um, a video clip for yeah. as well in a graveyard yes <laughs> it was the, we could only afford to do one video clip but we did that one um, uh, I mean there's some so why, why sort did you choose that things. one in particular oh, I think because it was it was going to it was fairly obvious that it was other than maybe the Joan of Arc song which um the problem with saints um mm-hmm. it was probably the most kind of pop single yeah. song on the album it's so, also a nifty yeah. nod to his graveyard book isn't it um yeah i mean it's very neil yeah. um in that way um has he written vampires as such i don't know he's written a batman story or two maybe he has but um as you said there's the the graveyard book um and it was sort of yeah cute to set it in a graveyard and um it's the what is it the i think it's the anglican church in st peter's it's on um on the princess highway Mm -hmm. just sort of at the bottom end of king street but just past that um it's a great it's like the oldest church in australia um and cute little graveyard and (laughs) it was the perfect spot um and uh, so that one is sung by Lara mm-hmm. and Neil just joins in on backing vocals in the chorus. <laughs> that's his only appearance in the you song. Imagine having Neil but as your backing vocalist. That's right. <laughs> that is going to pick up a violin and probably right. sing it. Right? What else was he going to do? So um, I think we said, we, we'd recorded it and then we said, this it has to have Neil in it somewhere. Mm. So we, we I think we just wrote to him and said, can you please record the, you know, sing the sing the chorus? So sing the chorus, and we added it to the song. Mm. But and there there is one one song, piece on yeah. the album that doesn't have Neil on it, and that's, that's right. Neverwhere. That's entirely instrumental, but yeah. inspired by his words. Um, yeah, and it was just it was an instrumental piece that we had written together at about the same time as all this other work, um, and it hadn't been released and. It does have, you know, it's a very sort of dramatic soundtrack-like mm. piece. So I think we just wanted it to be um, in there. We thought it would be nice to have um, one instrumental piece. Yeah. Um, and um, we weren't actually sure which Neil work it was going to end up being connected mm-hmm. with because we had a number of sort of thoughts about about the sort of stuff that he writes. But it was it was definitely in the vein of something some sort of fantastical story mm. and um Netherware is one of my other favorites of his it's just a, a a lovely kind of dark but but humorous story of his a novel of his and mm-hmm. so that's what it ended up being called um 
so no, nothing kind of collaborative there. Yes, maybe inspiration, but not sort of yeah. working well, It was together. a good palate cleanser. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, because there's so much yeah. spoken word and it's, it's, you, know, you really right. need to concentrate yeah. on many levels to absorb And we did everything. put it right in the middle mm. there, I think, for that reason. Because yeah. um, then it gets pretty intense as yeah, the yeah. last few tracks. Um, I, would, I just would mention as well the other... So we've had... A poem that Neil wrote that mm-hmm. basically just got paired with our music or set to music, an existing one. So mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's just like the the original thing that we did together, which yes. was a thing that he'd written. Um, the second last track on the album, which is called In Transit, is another instrumental piece that we'd completely just composed. Um, mm-hmm. Not composed, but, you know, we, it was complete, really. Yes. And if you hear the digital version of the album, then you, you can hear the original version mm-hmm. of that piece as well. Um, but Neil heard it and he just felt that this poem that he had written, um, it's a very much a prose poem, but mm-hmm. it's a poem called In Transit, which is about the life of um, Arthur Eddington, who was a... English scientist who is famous for having proved um, Einstein's general relativity by doing some experiments with um, the, you know, curving of light around the sun. Um, And Neil kind of found out a bit about his life and he was basically a closeted gay man who was very, very kind of personal and inward sort of looking but had this magnificent vision of the universe and he tied that together into this this piece which is sort of half about this this closeted English individual um, and half about the the sort of you know galactic sort of scientific stuff that he'd done and um, he again he just had this idea that this piece that we'd written which starts almost like a kind of piece of Renaissance classical Baroque music and mm-hmm. ends up as a kind of pretty heavy piece of yeah, rock yeah. music <laughs> um, and that it would work together. So um, we had com- we'd completely recorded it already. So we went into the studio and he just read his poem <laughs> to this, this recording that we'd done and it needed a little bit of editing because it was just slightly too long for yeah. the number. Of- so we added a couple of repeats here and... Um, obviously had to change the levels a bit, but um, our genius sound guy, Justin, <laughs> who, who um, I, I think I really feel like he just blossomed so much during this as well. Um, he's always been really great and he's a classical mm. trained musician as well. But um, yeah, he just put everything into this and it, it sounds amazing. For well, it really sounds like so, you all blossomed from the collaboration. I think so. Um, but yeah, that was um, that was probably the most artificially created in a yeah. way. But again, I mean, it works, and you wouldn't you'd hear it, and you wouldn't necessarily mm. know. Mm. A lot of people just comment on this track and that they you know really love how it works as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the album is called Signs of Life. Signs of Life. Um, yes, it. Um, obviously that's a nod to the signs that we had and and a nod to this um, life and death theme that I guess it... And the the Mm. string quartet is called Foreplay? It is called Foreplay, F-O-U-R-P 
P-L-A-Y. And it's yes. in collaboration with Neil Gaiman with a, with a lovely uh, Sean Tan image on the front cover. It is. And how um, can people get a listen to it? Um, just about anywhere, <laughs> really. It's on so Spotify. It's on Spotify and Apple Music and oh, nice. Amazon and everything. Um, and it's on the digital, you know, you can buy it digitally and then there is... There is a vinyl um, version. A purple vinyl. I there saw is, Neil Gaiman had a purple mm, one. There are all these different versions around the world. If you if you were to buy it from Rough Trade in London, you'd get one one colour. And if you buy it from the Barnes & Noble version in the US and all these different ones. So there are a lot of different colours out there. But there's a purple one if you buy it direct from... It's gaiman-4play.com. Um, and we'd, we'd love to put, put a track on the uh, podcast, but unfortunately I think you, the, I think Captivate might shut it down on spec if we yeah. had a track. So, Even though we own it entirely ourselves, no, yeah, I think yeah. it would be very hard for us to actually stop that from happening. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so people yeah. listening you know, are going to have to do their own homework and go and find yeah. like. <clears throat> Signs um, of Life by Foreplay and Neil Gaiman. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're on Spotify or whatever, just search for Neil Gaiman because <laughs> there's nothing else really of his. You'll get there. that in several audio um, probably. Possibly a little bit of <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's mostly just him. So yeah, there's just that that's it's that easy really. To look, thank it. you yeah. so much for talking to us tonight. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you, and really look forward to having. I've listened to some of it, but I know what I'm going to be listening to on my drive home tonight. Yeah. And thanks to Paris for, for joining us as well. So thank thanks you so much. You. And thanks for letting me <laughs> blather on so much for now. No worries. Peter Hollow, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you.